Seems like every local in the valley here has a mountain bike. This sport is really exploding. I break the law. I ride an illegal trip. And it's getting away from the cops, the cars, the concrete. is a Chinese down here. Skiers and snowboarders together on a run, you're looking for trouble. You know, they get on skis and they just think they can overcome the world. The more you go around, the more you're going to find out. I like to think that death is out of the question. The life starts at 40 miles an hour. You ride the chairlift for two or three weekends and you have to go like climb hills all week just to be even with God, you know? Welcome to Mind the Track with Powbot and Trail Whisperer. Ramblings from the skin track in winter, single track in summer, celebrating the core lords, and fostering the culture of mountain life in the Sierra Nevada and Great Basin. Today's June 22nd, 2023, a day after the summer solstice, and you're listening to episode number 13, lucky number 13. And by the way, thanks for listening. Help spread the word. Leave Mind the Track, a rating and review, and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Got feedback or a core lord we should chat with? Drop us a line at mindthetrackpodcast at gmail.com, at mindthetrack on Instagram, or go to our website at mindthetrack.com. Here next to me once again, as always, is the professor of POW, Pow, the director of the Powder Intelligence Agency and the United Shredders of Snow, Lombot Powbot. He's in his transition right now. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, what's happening, Kurt? What's happening? We're back. Uh, we're back at the family cabin. Yeah, this is. Where, yeah, we're circling all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, the last That's time the, we were here is when we recorded the first episode. First episode, buried in snow. It's couldn't, crazy. The couldn't, see out, couldn't see out the windows. I, well, I couldn't, I like coming here the last few times I would, I would pass the house because there, the snow banks were 10 feet high. So you couldn't see what the house looked like. And I couldn't see that. I didn't yeah. know which house was what. That's, that's every house in Tahoe <laughs> on a big winter. It's just a big circle to nowhere and you don't know where you are. <laughs> and by the time you realize it, you you've gone past it and you got to like back up because you're like, I think that was it. But now coming into the neighborhood, it, every, all the snow is gone. Yeah. All the snow is gone. All the decks are gone. All the decks are gone. All <laughs> the, the roofs are half gone. The, the, the neighbor's deck here was in a pile of, of rubble uh, a couple of weeks ago when I came by and had to take a couple of pictures of it. And now it's gone. I was hoping to show it to you, but the, the remnants of it are, are gone. <laughs> <laughs> They're rebuilding. Decks and roofs, baby. Decks and roofs. Roofs and decks. <laughs> uh, but it's good to be back here. It's good to see you. What's, what's been happening in, in the dirt intelligence, intelligence agency world? Um, it's geez. been pretty good out there. It's been, yeah, it's been incredible. I mean, like, I think we've said this over like for the last three episodes in a row just all time spring the yeah. best spring i can ever remember you know every day hero dirt wildflowers afternoon thunderstorms um perfect temperatures you know it's funny so i've been telling all my friends you know they're you know after this huge winter and then this unseasonably cool and wet spring uh you know what can be attributed to this like uncanny type of weather. And the only thing that I can really um, conclude, and I am by no means a, a certified by the American Meteorological Society, but there we, was- we, we try. We try. I mean, I'm a weather nerd. I mean, Tom might even be bigger, but um, I did 
I do have a minor in meteorology, so I mean, you know, I'm not totally you do? qualified. I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> You're a man of international mystery. Yeah, I was going to be a TV weatherman. You would that was that was my original plan in college, but then I realized I'd have to be in like BFE Indiana, you know, like like Terre Haute or some some junk like that with wearing a suit every day on some like third rate local TV station, and I'm like, man, I'm not into that. I don't a I don't like wearing suits, and b you know I I just I don't want to live in. The heartland tornadoes. Yeah. Well, tornadoes are rad. I, I've always wanted love to go to, on a ch I, chase. I chased tornadoes when I was a kid. Like Did I'd, you? Yeah, I'd goad my mom to drive me around. <laughs> and she would drive my brother and me around chasing <laughs> tornadoes. When I grew up in Michigan, I was always in, <laughs> like it, so into the weather. And when it would come across Lake Michigan, I always, the big thunderstorms would come across the lake and you could see them approaching and I'd, I would run out to greet the storm. Yeah, yeah. No, I would too. And so in, in, on the topic of like natural phenomenon, what I am attributing this yeah, huge winter and spring is, is I call it the, the spring of Tonga, the winter of Tonga. So the Tonga eruption there was these massive volcanic eruption that happened in tonga which is in the south pacific kind of near like fiji and okay. like that zone of the polynesian islands um about 18 months ago i'd say it was like january of 2022 and it put megatons of water vapor into the atmosphere because it was an underwater volcanic eruption so it was and it was they registered as like one of the i think the largest volcanic eruption in recorded history. And so that put megatons of water vapor into the atmosphere. It put all the pow in the atmosphere? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. So what wow. happened was, you know, you have this insane amount of water vapor and it's over the, over the entire Pacific Ocean. And- It's coming to us. It, it comes straight to us. And that's the only, I mean, I when just you look at history, just didn't stop. <laughs> well, when you look at history, any big, super big winter is has been preceded by a huge volcanic eruption, like Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines erupted in the early 1990s, and it and it cooled the average temperature on Earth by a, a degree and a half centigrade. So like when, and that, that eruption was massive, but, and it was above ground and it put all this like particulate in the atmosphere, which, right, it lessened the intensity of the sun's rays and it would keep the oceans from getting warmer, which as we know, like the oceans really dictate weather patterns. Yeah. Like, you know, like we're, I just saw that there's maybe an El Nino coming yeah bro. so <laughs> how about that one yeah el nino you remember el nino like it's been a couple of years they always talk about I it i just hope it means another big winner for those of you who don't el nino is spanish for the, the nino, nino. It's coming. Let's just make it two big ones in a row. Wouldn't that be great? Well, that's what 81, 82, and 82, 83 were, right? And I, and I don't know if there's a correlation here, but guess what happened in 1980? A, a volcanic eruption. Mount St. Helens. Okay. 
So, you know, there's a correlation 100% between giant volcanic eruptions and weather patterns. And I, you know, I don't think it takes a scientist to figure that one out. But the the funny thing is like, nobody knows, like I've been talking with friends who are pretty well versed in weather and, and snow. And, and I mentioned the Tongan eruption and they're like, the what? Yeah, I really didn't know about it. I, I'm surprised you didn't know about it. Like you, you're up on weather. Yeah. I'm, so there's definitely I'm a correlation. Really just looking when it's going to snow next right. but, or, or when it's going to freeze. I mean, I could be a hundred percent wrong. And to anyone who's listening, who is a volcanologist, that's one thing actually I would love to find. If anyone listening to this show knows a volcanologist, hit us up. Cause yeah, I, I would love to get to know this correlation between weather and volcanic eruptions, because I think there's a link there. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, let's do it. Hopefully someone will draw, draw the connection for us and we can have someone on. Yeah. The spring of Tonga. But, you know, now... We're, it's not spring anymore. It's though. not spring. Yesterday was the solstice. And it means, you know, the longest day of the year, which I always love. And just like we did the spring episode, this is the, the summer movement from Vivaldi's Four Seasons. The third movement. Is the third movement yeah, the, of summer of, of summer because there are multiple movements. I have multiple movements in a day. <laughs> <laughs> this just reminds me of what it was like treading all the brown pow during the rain cycle. Yeah, this reminds me of a train of people hitting jumps. Right, he's like rah, rah. the next guy, rah. next girl, rah. just hitting the jumps, coming down the mountain, slashing the brown pow. Um. Yeah, we're into summer, and this is our now our third season of documenting life in yeah. Tahoe. We're on to summer. We did winter, spring, center. It was kind of spring winter. Yeah, center. Yeah. And now summer's sort of spring summer, but yeah. it is it's officially summer. Happy summer, bro. Happy summer. Well, it doesn't feel like summer. I mean, here up in Tahoe Donner this morning, it's overcast and maybe like high fifties. It's incredible still, like the weather. It's just been all time. Yeah, even down in Reno, mid seventies. Yeah, what's it been Should like be for you down there? Should be ninety plus by now. I know it's, it's it's been cool. Yeah, a lot of people are complaining about it, but this is my favorite summer I've had in a while. Oh, this is the best season I've ever had. I mean, not only in Tahoe, but possibly ever anywhere I've ever lived. Ah, it, that's it, a big statement. Yeah, I mean, like I just don't remember a spring because I lived in the bay for eight years i lived in san diego for five then before that i was on the east coast and no spring on the east coast is as good as a good spring on the west coast there's just weather doesn't compare you know uh -huh. what i mean yeah so yeah i don't i don't think uh i don't think i've ever had a better season i was a little worried that this bike season uh, here in particularly in tahoe that there was just going to be too much snow and we were going to be riding the same trail over and over and over again, which there was a little bit of, but it seems that in the last few weeks, a lot has opened up. Stuff's opening up fast. Everything below yeah. 8,000 feet is pretty much good to go. Uh, I got word. I got word from not some, in not in Donnyville. Yeah. <laughs> not in Donnyville. Not in, that's the no. Packer saddle still buried. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the East shore, the East shore is dry. I rode, uh, inclined flume flume the other day and it was fantastic. That, oh, all that's the, good. To all know. the way up to 7,800 feet, 8,000 feet almost on the East shore in South Lake. I hear snow line in South Lakes at 7,900 feet. Dude, you know what I, okay. So you know what I did a couple weeks ago, right after we recorded with Todd, um, at, 
uh, Gear Lab, yeah. right? The last episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chris, it, it was raining. <laughs> it, it, it dumped. Right after we recorded, it dumped. And Chris McNamara and I went out on... He's got electric dirt bikes. He's got a Suron and a, this new one called the Talaria. We call it the Tilapia. That's like something out of Tron. <laughs> I know. The Suron. The Suron, Tron, Ron, <laughs> Tron, Ron. But these things are these like mountain bike size electric powered dirt bikes that are mental. They're insane, especially this Tilapia, dude. This The Tilapia... <laughs> It's, it'll, is that the new one? It's the new one. Okay. Yeah. It's like 30% more powerful and 30% more range. And it's a little bit bigger form factor. So the Suron's a little small. Like when you sit on it, you know, if you're a six foot tall guy, it's a little small. Like if you were like shorter, um, it'd probably fit pretty well. But, but the tilapia is like the perfect size for so, you know, when are you buying one? Oh, I, I, as soon as I was done riding it, I'm like, I'm buying one of these. Just, I have to, like, I was going to buy, I was thinking about buying a new dirt bike, but I'm like, no, I'm keeping the dirt bike I have. And I'm going to buy one of these. Cause I will use this way more because it's just, it's so much easier to ride. It's, it's nimble. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you can flat foot it through the sketchy stuff. Like if you're going through like tight exposure or, you know, like really gnarly terrain, you're not going to be like on my, I have a Honda 250X. And that thing, it's just, you, I can't flat foot it through really technical terrain because it's a big enough bike that like, you know, I, I, if I don't get good footing, I could tip over and fall off a cliff. But with the little tilapia, like it's like riding a mountain bike. It's just, you know, it's 120 pounds, but you can still lift it over logs and stuff, but it's just crazy powerful. And, you know, Kingsbury Stinger Trail is a moto legal single track in South Lake. So we took Chris Mack and I right after poured down yeah, rain i had fomo yeah we ripped up work. and down stinger on these things it was like star wars dude it was like everything was warp speed there was nobody on the trail because it was pouring rain and you know that's it that dirt it's sand so it takes the yeah. water per it's like perfect and we were actually at the top like at snow line and we were about to come down and these mountain bikers are like pushing their bikes up the hill through the snow banks and we're sitting there and we had like open, we had like mountain bike helmets on, you know? And, uh, and these guys looked at us and we're like, what's up? And they said, Hey, how's it going? And then they, and then the guy kind of like did a double take and looked down at my bike and he goes, that's a dirt bike. And I'm like, yeah. And they just like take off, like no noise at all. You know, Silent just like, killers. <laughs> <laughs> but they are crazy rad, like super cool. Oh, I just got my e-bike. You got to keep up, bro. I don't know. <laughs> you you got to have all I the... did have FOMO when you guys took off on those things. Oh, and I had to go to work. Yeah. they. I highly recommend uh, hitting up Chris Mack to go for a little rip on those things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. So other stuff happening. What's been happening in the trail world? You got a job. I did. I took a, I took a new job recently. Okay. Um, so the Sierra Buttes trail stewardship, which I've been involved with now for about 10 years on and off. Um, I've been, you know, I've volunteered a lot, um, participated in their events a lot, and I've been a writer and a storyteller for mm -hmm. them. Um, so I've done a lot of their like marketing and their communications and, and just a lot of the storytelling for the stewardship over the years. Um, and, 
Uh, you What's know, it morphed into then for you? It's morphed into a, a job more trails oriented. Uh, you know, the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship has um, spearheaded this big legacy project called Connected Communities. Yeah. It is um, a project that's approximately 600 miles of, of trail, new trail, that will connect uh, 15 mountain communities across five counties in two states, across four national forests. And it's, you know, it's vast. It's huge. It's a huge project. It's, it's like, I don't think anything quite like it exists or has been done before. Um, And it is going to, you know, be an economic development model using trails as the tool for, you know, economic development and helping bring more visitors to these like, you know, economically disadvantaged communities um, so we're talking community like shortlist. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Sierraville, Loyalton, Portola, Gray Eagle, Quincy, Downeyville, Sierra City, Quincy, uh, Chester, um, you know, Lake, uh, like, like, like around Lake Almanor, Susanville, like yeah. all these communities. And then it also is going to connect into Truckee and into Reno, which are kind of the major population centers. So I, living in Verdi, we have um, a bunch of projects coming down the pike um, that are going to link into this Connected Communities project that are going to be um, in the Verdi, Truckee, Loyalton, Sierraville zone. And that's kind of the backyard for me. I've spent a lot of time in that area and I know it really well. And we have, um, we've been funded already for 35 miles of construction. So there's shovel ready trail in the Boca and Verdi Ridge area that's ready to go. Heck. So we've got the money for it. It's been through the environmental process, like it's ready to go. And then we just got funded um, by the Sierra Nevada Conservancy, which is um, a government agency that's been managing um, hundreds of millions of dollars from Prop 68, which is a water bond bill that passed a few years ago in the state of California. And it's focused on water quality and um, habitat and, and, and like fire fuels management and trails is a, is a core part of that, um, that bill and, and this project that Sierra Nevada Conservancy is managing. And why is that? Why is trail so important to the watersheds? Because trails uh, are a way to get the public into the forest to learn about the forests. Education. And, and education. Smart. And there's an economic development component. So a lot of these communities that I mentioned, right, they're economically disadvantaged. And what, you know, the Sierra Nevada Conservancy is trying to do is to help bolster these communities and, and bring them um, some, you know, economic development um, to help improve quality of life and provide more jobs. And, yeah. and so, you know, most of California, especially Northern California on the coast and the Bay and the Valley, like the water, the main watershed for all of California are the mountains where we live. And so preserving the water quality and maximizing the water delivery, it's super important, right? And so, um, yeah, and plus trails like beyond just, you know, recreation and, and uh, public education, like they can serve as a very important um, access route for firefighters. So like with Todd, you know, what he was talking about last week in that episode, like when there's a yeah, fire true. in a, a really gnarly zone that's hard to access, a trail is a vital link for these um, firefighting resources to be able to get in to fight the fire. 
So a lot of the trail projects that we're working on actually are now integrating. We're trying to integrate um, with like with fuels fire, management. With fire plan. With fire plans. Yeah, wow. because, you know, when you do fuels management, you have to go through NEPA, which is the National Environmental Protection Act. And it's not preservation. I think it's protection. And it's the standard for you know, whenever you do a project on federal lands, you have to go through this process to evaluate all the potential impacts that you might have with this project. And so that's always been the most difficult um, pill to swallow for a trails organization is going through this NEPA process because there's no guarantee that it's going to come back positive. So you could invest all this money because NEPA is expensive. And so you could lose that money. Like you could go through the NEPA process and it comes back saying, this is high impact, can't do it. Can't do it. And it's like doing an EIS or an, an environmental EIR. impact report. Yeah, 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 it is. It's, it's similar. And so um, anyway, the job that I have is going to be managing the grants um, and, you know, volunteer coordination and tracking like our trail crews, like tracking their hours and, and Matt and like reporting on the grants and like, and being out in the field. Um, you know, last week, uh, I was up on Mount Huff with the Plumas National Forest and a gentleman, Garrett Villanueva, who runs, um, district five for the forest service. So he's in charge of all trails in California, like 4,000 miles worth of trails. Wow. Really rad guy and r hardcore mountain biker. He shreds bikes. Oh yeah. Yeah. He rides a lot. Cool. And so he took us, we were flagging line for new trail on Mount Huff because the stewardship's building new trail on Huff right now. Um, for people who are familiar with Huff, there's going to be a new single track that connects the bottom of Indian Falls Ridge trail back to the bottom of Mount Huff Trail where it hits Oakland camp there at the very bottom. So you won't have to traverse 10 miles on a Jeep road anymore. There'll be single track all the way, which is pretty cool. Cool. And so we hiked a few miles of this new connector trail and, and laid flagging and worked with a clinometer and, you know, like trail grade is really important. Right. And so, and building sustainable trail and just, so it's pretty cool. Like I've been involved with trails pretty much all my life, but not so much in an official capacity, you know, it's been in more informal volunteering or, you know, backyard kind of pirating, you know, like, so it's pretty cool to kind of learn more about the official process. You know, it's, there's a, you know, as a writer, man, there, like, I think my challenge is going to be digesting the amount of words that people write in these reports and on these grants. I mean, it's just so verbose. It's like, can you please summarize this better? Like you're just saying the same thing, 10 different ways, 10 different times. Like let's compact this. So a 75 page document could be a 20 page document, you know, but yeah. so that's going to be really the challenge for me is like kind of understanding all the, all the, acronyms and the verbiage and the process and the, cause there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into building. I don't think people understand or realize how much work actually goes into building a new trail before you even put a shovel in the like dirt. Like a big sanction, a sanctioned project like that. Yeah. I mean the shovel in the dirt, what, by the time you get to that, that's the easy part. Honestly, that's yeah. the easy part. It's the, all the stuff you got to do before that. 
like the the biological studies and the environmental studies and the cultural studies other heritage sites oh yeah like you got to avoid you know cultural sites and 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 archaeological sites and you know and that's i think one thing with illegal trails that people don't understand is you can't just go build an illegal trail anywhere in the forest like you have to you know (laughs) if you're gonna do i'm not condoning this but you need to know where you're where you're building because that's the biggest problem is people just build straight through a cultural site. They don't even know it, Yeah, you know, and that's what these processes are for, are for. So anyway, it's been, it's been cool to kind of be in an official capacity and um, helping with this project. You know, it's a huge project. It's become kind of the poster child for the that's forest service true. for the state of California. Like all the major players are in support of it. You know, I think one testament to this connected communities project is that in a super partisan time in our country, right? Everything is super political and partisan right now. Interesting. It's it's bringing people together. It's 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 one of the few things that everyone can unanimously agree is a good thing, which I think is awesome. It's, Both sides of the table are. We in need so much more trail. Yeah, we do. Well, we need more trail, especially with how many more people there people are. are yeah, it's just the demands in Tahoe. I was talking with someone the other day about like just if if we imagined the work that Truckee Dirt Union has done. And if Jack, just imagine if Jackass Ridge wasn't there. Right. And all those people had to go ride on other trails. Mm-hmm. They would be just, just such a big impact. There'd yeah. be 300 people would be unleashed on all these other trails and there'd be all this user conflict and angry hikers. It was, I was riding in the Verdi Canyon and we actually came across a, a group of Sierra clubbers. No way. <laughs> yeah. And I knew immediately. Like that, I, I popped out and they were like, Hey, is that an, is that an electric bike? And I'm like, yeah, it's a pedal assist. And you know, how's your day going? And they're just like, D- the one, one of the women was like, don't touch, don't run into me. And I'm like, I'm standing next to you. Like, what's your name? How's it going? And it was just funny how in some, the river Canyon. Yeah. We, they were, they were hiking the, uh, the, the, the trail that follows 80. Wow. And, my, and, and. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a funny interaction, but I knew immediately they were Sierra Clubbers and they were just kind of, they were out of their element. Well, they were, they were having their day and we were having our day. And I just like to be polite and say hello and yeah. kill them with kindness and be like, Hey, I'm a person. I'm just out here recreating like you and taking pictures of flowers and enjoying the clouds and that's good in the man. day. But, uh, it just, we need more trail. That's just evident yeah. to me. Like it, it'd be nice to have more projects like what you're working on. And I'm, I'm excited to ride some new rad trail and, the Truckee area. Oh, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff on that Verdi. Verdi Ridge is so beautiful. Man. And is this going to be mixed use trail? Is it going to be it's, yeah, dirt so the, bike, mountain bike, hike, the Boca, The Boca and Verdi Ridge segments are going to be OHV legal. Huh, cool. um, I think one of the, one of the challenges that um, the Connected Communities Project faces is there is some concern and pushback on the motorized component. There's some part people in the community who are not for it. But, you know, it doesn't have to be all motorized. I think like the, it's going to be up to the land manager to decide the, um, I mean, our goal is to, you know, be inclusive as possible. You know, we want to, we want to accommodate as many user groups as possible. That's what's, you know, we dub it a trail for everyone. Yeah. And that's really what we're aiming for. And we should be able to coexist. Every user group should be able to have an opportunity to ride trail on public land and so there may be some areas where it's less appropriate. So, you know, we're going to leave that up to the land manager and the community to decide. I mean, really, this comes down to 
what the community wants, right? Like we go to, we, we hold these open houses in these different communities. We take the feedback of the community members. And like, if the majority of the community wants motorized, then we're going to do motorized. If the majority community does not, then we won't. Then you it's, look, look at, look at a different direction. We're not going to fit a round peg into a square hole. That, right? that zone has always sort of historically been motorized use, you know, sort of everything east of Truckee is sort of yeah, yeah so like in the stampede big... boca zone yeah because you got prosser and prosser hill and, the, and there's the you know like uh lloyd's trail yep. and that's all ohv legal so boca stampede i think is kind of a no-brainer it's all going to be moto i mean there is going to be some uh non-motorized down by like the road like stampede dam road closer to the road um but up on the ridge like it's it's hard to access without you yeah. know you know unless you're hardcore fit fitness monster on a mountain bike you know most of the users way up there unless you're an angry single speeder (laughs) or unless you're an angry single speeder yeah but a really angry one because there's a bit it's a big climb to get up there oh cool thanks for filling filling in me and the listeners a little bit about a new job that springfield has come out in retirement that's right springfield's on to the next thing that's that's awesome and then uh you also have been working on some other trail nevada Let's talk about that a little bit and the fact that you did get another grant for that one. Yeah. So my pet, I've had a side pet project for the last six, seven years on the Toyabe Crest Trail in central Nevada in the Toyabe Range. Um, The Toyabe Range is the longest mountain range in Nevada. Um, For those that don't know, Nevada is the second most mountainous state in America behind Alaska, has more mountain ranges than any other state in the country aside from Alaska. And the Toyabe is the longest of them. Uh, in the state and it's about 130 miles long north to south it's dead middle of the state so if you know where austin is on highway 50 it's south of that um and the toyabe crest trail is a 72 mile trail um national recreation trail it's half in the arctome wilderness and then the northern half is outside of the wilderness and so i've been focused on the non-wilderness portion of the trail because that's the one i can ride my mountain bike on yeah and it's been totally overgrown you know, 40 years of deferred maintenance. Nobody's been out there. It's pretty much disappeared. The, the most frequent user of that trail are cattle. Um, and a handful of years ago, a friend of mine turned me onto the place and, um, and you fell in love with it. Eh? Yeah. Fell in love with it. Place is amazing. And it was originally built back in the thirties by yeah. the civilian conservation corps. Yep. It, it was, was kind of like a sister trail to almost like the Pacific crest trail or yeah. the Appalachian trail or it was, yeah. it's supposed to be Nevada's sort of heritage trail totally yeah it was it was it was built as a post-depression works project it was finished in the 1960s it was maintained regularly until probably the 80s and then the forest service lost funding for trail maintenance and then it just went into disrepair and neglect and it's kind of disappeared so you know after riding it i just thought man how, how amazing would this ride be if it was actually maintained and you wouldn't get lost and you wouldn't get shredded head to toe by sagebrush i mean a lot of the terrain is sagebrush mahogany aspen groves you know limber pines up high um, pinion pine juniper tons of water wildflowers grasses i think you know it's spectacular it's spectacular like people you know think the great basin is just desert but in the ranges it's like utah or montana or wyoming like you would never guess you were in the great basin of nevada that's super it's it, it, i'll say that last summer when i came out there with you twice kurt it was kind of the high, one of the highlights of my summer last year nice coming out there twice with you and getting to experience that and having the challenge of the long day in the saddle and doing yeah. the, doing the long ride yeah 
it's special it's, it, it's really neat yeah it's a it's a unique experience it's a one-of-a-kind trail i've ridden a lot of trails in my life and nothing compares to the tct it it's feels like a, it feels like a ski experience a little bit because you're above tree line for so long of it right when you ride it yeah no you got your world views you can you're looking a hundred and some odd miles in every direction um from the top i mean you the, the trail runs between seven and eleven thousand feet elevation and yeah you're top of the world up there and you feel very alone and very small and it's it's a it's not a to me it's an empowering feeling like it just we can go out there and you know cut trails so like last weekend we were out yeah, there what, what were you doing last weekend we this working. was the first week you went out yeah so we got funded um a couple of years ago a recreational trails program rtp it was a grant that we got funded for i partnered with the great basin institute in reno and um we got funded to make, do work on 25 miles of trail and so we just been mowing 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 sagebrush yeah, so what's the main thing that you're doing you're just basically cutting back yeah overgrown trail lots of cutting um i burn i've already burned through one makita sawzall like literally burned through it we got to get you a makita sponsorship <laughs> i know if, yeah i know totally like i i have a lot of power tools um <laughs> But it would be good marketing. I Is think. that your pickup line at the bar? Yeah, I got I a lot. Power. I am a power tool. I've got six batteries for my power tool. <laughs> I do actually. I carry them all. Yeah. I, so, like, what are you carrying it out there on a day like what you just did? Yeah. Well, so what we just did, so we were resurrecting last weekend, our first volunteer weekend of the summer, because we got a second round of funding. So now we're back. We're on to the second round to maintain the next. 15 to 20 miles of trail. We're resurrecting the Marysville Canyon. So there are these access trails up to the TCT from the west side of the range. Mm -hmm. There's Washington Creek, there's San Juan Creek, there's Marysville, and there's Mohawk. And Mohawk is pretty much gone. It's very overgrown. Marysville is also pretty much gone, not as overgrown, but not far off. So we started just mowing up Marysville Canyon. Um, really thick hasn't nobody's been back there in 30 40 years wow that's just so neat yeah and what's cool about the toyabi and the reason why i've invested my time into it is because you get a high return on your effort like in the sierra nevada like in downeyville for instance man you pour your life into a trail and cleaning it up and logging it out and then the next summer you got to do it all over again because there's so much vegetation and it grows so freaking fast that you just can't keep up whereas in the toyabi everything grows sm slower right they don't Stuff, get as much water they don't get as much rain there isn't as much vegetation um it's mostly sagebrush you know there is there are trees and stuff but they're just and they're not big trees they're smaller trees thinner in diameter so they're easier to clear um so it's a better return on investment or time investment you know effort um so yeah we went out there with like how many people went out with you uh on this one we had six which it was a smaller turnout which it's fine. I actually like the smaller turnouts, honestly, because you bond tighter with your, your your compatriots, you know. And we had a rad camp spot, and um, I brought all the tools, dude. I had two gas-powered hedge trimmers that my buddy Steve from the Nevada County Woods Riders let me borrow. Um, had a couple of battery-powered hedge trimmers. Um, had my gas chainsaw. Had my electric Makita chainsaw. Had my sawzall. Um, you know, my buddy Chris brought his, um, hedge trimmer and his chainsaw. So we had all the tools 
And uh, it was like, I, it was kind of like, I don't know, like uh, the matrix when Neo has like a, a million frigging guns and he just keeps reloading <laughs> and throwing, you know, like bullets at stuff. It was kind of like that. You just like show up with all these tools and just start throwing them at the trail. Cause I've, I've you know, eventually, inev- you know, like inevitably something's going to break. Right. So you just like throw that one to the side and pick up the next one and just keep going. Right. But we got like a mile and a half of trail clear, which is a lot. Um, three full days my buddy chris and i put in was it chris brown came out no chris rudy okay rude boy rude boy rude boy rude boy shovel rude boy shuffling (laughs) he lives in gray eagle okay and he matched me toe for toe man he's two months off hip surgery and the guy just went to town he's like all about it it was awesome so our next uh volunteer weekend for anyone who's interested um give that a shout july 21st to the 23rd and then august 25th either 26th to the 28th or 25th to the 27th that last weekend in august okay we'll be back out there um yeah and you're focused on sort of getting that other access point cleared yeah these access trails are important because it enables our like so great basin institute they manage the um contracts with americorps and the nevada conservation corps so they get these groups of people out there to cut trail so having easy access for them is important because they'll spend like a week at a time out on the trail camping and cowboy camping and just like, you know, cutting trail. So, and are they working on the TCT then? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So the, the first round of funding, um, they put a crew on the trail for like five week long stints and we got a lot done. It was pretty awesome. Um, cause it, but prior to that, it was just me and a friend or two. So yeah, it was like slow going. Are you know? helping steer the ship on the, on that, when those people show up a little bit? I'm not, no, I don't need to, there's a crew leader with them. Okay. Um, but I work kind of alongside them, but they're, they don't have any power tools. They're just using like, you know, picks and stuff and just like literally wrangling and pulling these, you know, they look like giant pieces of broccoli, you know, these sage bushes, they're huge. They're ma- I mean, they're mini sage trees, some of them. And, um, but I've got power tools. I've got my saws all, so I can cover a lot of ground. Kid. Yeah. I can cover a lot of ground for a, by myself. I mean, dude, if all of those NCC, uh, members had power tools, we'd get that thing done in no time, but they're having to resort to manual labor with, with old school tools, which is fine. But, um, you know, what's interesting is that like this time around, uh, Great Basin Institute, you know, they hire every season for these NCC crews. They can't find anyone, dude. Like, uh, you know, so I think <laughs> this is a topic we can segue into with with your job and with like uh, Tahoe and stuff is that yeah. they can't find anyone to work. They can't, so they, they usually hire 60 people a summer to go out on these missions. And they, they're like, they got found 15 people. And, uh, you know, like admittedly previously, they were making nothing hour. I think hourly wage for that was like eight bucks an hour. I mean, it's like nothing, but they've, they've increased the pay now to something like 20, 20 some odd bucks an hour. And they still can't find for anyone. this, for, for working on trail for working on trail. Yeah. And they still can't find anyone. So it's just, it's crazy, man. So they're, they're like, we're, I don't know if we're going to get a crew out there this summer cause they're, they just can't find anyone to do it. So we're going to have to resort to just volunteers, volunteers in the matrix kit and, and just thrown to, yeah, come with the arsenal and just throw power tools at it. <laughs> so I you're not the trail whisperer. You're the you're <laughs> trail czar. I'm just the trail uh, annihilator. I yeah, don't know. That's awesome. Well, thanks yeah. for the work that you do, that, that you're doing out there. And I 
can't wait to get back out there and ride again. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be out there. Bring the e-bike. And is it, is it fully melted out? Pretty much. The whole range is melted yeah. out. Um, up high, there are huge drifts still. Above 9,000 feet, there's still massive drifts. It seems like the Southern Toyabi got more snow than the Northern, uh, which is in line yeah. with like Mammoth and Tahoe. You know, when yeah, Mammoth well, and Tahoe- Southern Sierra's got more. Yeah, when Mammoth and Tahoe get hammered, the Toyabi gets hammered. Okay. They're right in line. It's that East-West. So yeah, like Arc Dome got hammered. There's more snow in Arc Dome than there is like North Lake the, and where, Kingston. Where we skied on Bunker. On Bunker, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's turn it then into sort of what's been happening. Yeah. Ooh. There's some there's some gossip in Tahoe. Is there? Well, so well, we we touched on I touched on it a little bit, but I didn't even say what it was. But the big news Palisades Tahoe dropped the other week was that they are going to charge for parking. Oh. Hooray! charge for parking after people started uh, buying their passes i know so let's talk about this like how do you feel about it um i mean you said you weren't gonna get a pass no i'm not buying an icon pass this year that's i mean i say people. that every year and then at the last minute i do I, but i think this year i'm just not like i i already bought my sugar bowl pass sugar bowl's rad i love i've had a pass there for a long time it's mellow um they are like the anti-icon and it's easy to get to it's yeah. easy it, it's like getting trying to get to olympic valley anymore is just a gong show and just kind of over it and this is their this is their solution to it and i just want to have this conversation i really would love to have this conversation a couple times with even some other players and people that have a little more stake in the game so to say but this one just rubs me the wrong way because it's not the solution yeah like charging for parking on weekends you just completely disenfranchise all of the teachers, all of the high school students, everybody that, like myself, like I, I think about my childhood, me growing up and and skiing at and snowboarding at Squaw Valley, sorry, Olympic Valley, that it just makes it so that these people, that I, I, w- I wouldn't have been able to have the experiences that I did if there was this the icon pass with paid parking and the whole system, like it's just, they haven't even really laid out what's going to happen. Like you have to press a button, like you're buying a fish ticket. (laughs) Like you have to be online at probably some point to like press a button to get the reservation. And then it's going to be an additional charge, which they haven't released that information yet on what it's going to cost. Yeah. And it's just a band. It's just a terrible band aid to this problem of too many passes. Like, I, I just feel that, like you said, Sugar Bowl, that's great. I've already bought in my Mount Rose Pass, mm-hmm. which is, again, another independent. And I just think that the cons- at some point, the consumers out there, the public needs to just start really voicing their opinions with their dollar. And this might be the year where I'd, I'd back out of an Icon Pass. Yeah. It's just, I, I, I am, I'm so torn about it because it's, I love skiing the, resorts of the icon pass but i think that palisades needs to go to what every other resort in north america did which is just your you get a week you get five days yep. or seven days and that's it yep yeah like a jackson hole at jackson big sky and because they all mm. had the issues that we had and the communities spoke up and said we don't want it we right. don't want these it's great to have unlimited skiing but then again it's not because you have all these other issues that fall out from it yeah, and so, I, I mean, well, the big problem, and we've talked about this, is that Altera owns yeah. 
these properties. They don't own Jackson Hole. So Jackson Hole can say... It was a partner resort. It was a partner resort. Whereas, well, you know, how about just make Palisades Tahoe partner resort and then yeah. sell $2,000 passes like the old days. Everyone's got to buck up and pay, pay a, a, a higher fee. And then maybe they can pay employees. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I just the whole model of private equity turning the ski industry into sort of a fitness spa mm -hmm. that everyone buys the pass for, then they can leverage that money. And it's just, we got to stop it. Yep. And creating paid parking on weekends was, is not a solution to stopping it. It's just really making it a, a bigger mess. Yep. And I feel bad for everybody that skis on weekends now. That I, I mean, it's bad on weekdays. Like, what's the is, is this is this going to push a bunch of people into the backcountry? I don't, I don't want that. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. Probably uh, not. Uh, I think people go to the resort to just sit on a chairlift and you know have a coffee in the village and maybe, yeah, but maybe the, go to the water. Yes, park. but there's a but there's also a ton of people who go to the resort to go skiing. Right, and that's but just we're losing sight of that. Yeah, but I don't think those. I don't. I don't think it's going to translate to a mob scene in the backcountry. I mean, we saw. A, a, no, I know, but I'm just saying. But like, what about the fa the, ever, the families, the kids? Like, they haven't even sorted out all the people that have kids on ski team, and yeah, and they're saying that oh, we're going to have parking for you guys. But I, I read. So I think there's only forty. There's four thousand parking spaces at Olympic Valley. Forty five hundred parking spaces, and another eighteen hundred or something in, in at Alpine. Mm -hmm. And I just it's it's a money grab. Is it? Is it a money grab? Somewhat. I just think they're just mismanaging this thing. And like their their Instagram account is just so worthy <laughs> to go there simply just to read what people are saying about yeah. everything. Like when they announced this, I think they had 1,500 comments and I'll say that none of them were positive. Right, yeah. Like I know. It's just a disaster. Well, it's like what North Star, what happened with Vail when they announced, you know, they started selling the season pass and then a couple months into selling the season pass, like, oh, by the way, you're gonna have to pay for parking. And they were like, F that. Yeah, what? They, they, there was a lawsuit and people got their money back. I think that's gonna happen here. And I might be one of those people. I think this is maybe the year that I finally make my voice heard and just go backcountry skiing more yeah. than I already do, which is a lot. Yeah. But I, and that pains me because well, I just get, I a, love, get a rose pass. Well, you I have, do, a I have pass. a rose pass, but like I, I have such a love affair with it's a, it's, I guess it's a love hate relationship with Olympic Valley because I, I went to high school there. Yeah. I have so many fond memories. I love that mountain. I yeah. love all the terrain. I yeah. love the history. I love the culture of the place. Yep. And it's just being not respected, no. I guess. Yeah, I agree, man. It's it's legend, and it's just yeah. It's uh, Swan John. She's like, oh, she's over the scene. Like, yeah. You well, know. my wife has been the same way forever. She she can't stand it. Yeah, but I I still love the scene. Like, I love having a shreddy day there and going to the chamois and having a beer. And I do too. Seeing my friends and I, and it I just, do too. You it, just have to. Now it's even harder to time it right. Like even on a Wednesday in March, it was slammed. It was slammed. I'm just yeah, like Wednesday in March, it's never been slammed. I don't want to just come off like a salty local. That's not my intention with having this conversation, but I, I think that there needs to be some positive solutions that the the, the Tahoe community, particularly Truckee, needs to step up and, and deal with this because it's it's such a weird, it's hard because it's in Placer County and a lot of the infrastructure issues are dealt then with Nevada County and just there's 
there's just not communication happening with and the towns involved and it's like how we what's really going to happen here and i think i blame the past that's it yeah I've, i always have blamed the past and i've been on i've been on that pass ride my entire life like i i had the first summit pass in college in colorado when that first came out and it was a basin breck keystone and copper and it was a collab even because those at that point those resorts were all separately owned but they started down the path of doing a, a multi-resort pass. And of course we bought it. It was amazing. It was 400, 350 bucks, 400 bucks. And then it, that grew into them realizing how many of those things they could sell. And it just has kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And it's just gotten to a point where it's unsustainable. I yeah. think our ski resorts need to go back to individual resorts and everybody skis at their own place. And when you travel, you buy a ticket. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. The door has been open, man. It's, it's, a, it's a definitely a Pandora's box. So, so I, I had a question for you, um, related to this <clears throat> because as, as busy as Tahoe gets in the winter time, mm -hmm. is it busier in Tahoe in the winter or in the summer? It's busier. My business has been busier in the summer. My wife and I kept a journal at, at, at the restaurant for years and sort of helped document it, it helped the staff and it helped us plan and summers are busier because the winters are weather dependent like this right. winter. And right. I think that a lot of people experienced a lot of businesses were down this winter because of the winter we had, it was just a struggle. Everything about this winter was a struggle. Mm -hmm. So business was down. So now that we've turned the corner and it's summer, summer solstice, the flip got switched up here last Friday, which was a little bit earlier than it normally normally goes. Uh, and it's from this point forward now we're busy all the way through September mm -hmm. and it's consistent every day and the weather's not so it's not a variable of weather. And so summers are busier for sure. Yeah. And yep. And how is, I know that you've been just pinned with work. Yeah. So I, I have been pinned at work. We were, uh, we lost a few people. And so we've been understaffed like everybody in Tahoe. And I've been working six days a week since June 3rd, since my last ski trip. I made it down to the east side mm -hmm. at the beginning of June. I had one weekend. I got two consecutive days off on June 3rd and 4th. And then I've been working every day except Sundays since then. And I've even still been working a little bit on Sunday, which has been, I think that's why our recording schedule has been a little bit off. But yeah, it's yeah, like, we're trying to make it happen at once a week, but you know, it's, it's kind of like an ish episode will drop on a Tuesday or on a Friday or on a Monday. Yeah, Cause I, we're just trying to get it in where we can. We're trying to stay consistent. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, it's, it's, I've kept, I've kept my head up and, and, yeah. and made the restaurant happen and it's, but it has been a lot of work. It's, it's been a lot. I'll just say that. So, uh, but it's, it's indicative of everything in Tahoe right now. I, I, I took a picture the other day, wagon train downtown had a sign up. They had four help wanted signs in their front window for waitresses and line cooks, which is basically everything that a restaurant needs. And then I showed you that picture when, uh, of the linen bags. Oh yeah. Tell it, us about so that one. This it, is crazy. It's just indicative of what's happening. So I'm, I'm having a really hard time functioning at the restaurant because of it's some essential, essential services in Tahoe are, are starting to fail because of, because of the employee crisis. Uh, but we're not getting linens. Like I can't get our linens. I can't get chef coats. I can't get towels. I can't get basically it's things that we need essentially to operate with as busy as we are. And the, the, the linen pile down at Bar of America was, there was just this giant pile of linens that haven't been picked up because the, the linen company hasn't gotten to them. 
God. And so, and it's, I, and I trace it all to staffing. Like they just don't have staff and it's why I'm not getting the stuff that we need to function. Uh, but it's, we're starting to slip with essential services in Tahoe. Like the bank, bank of the West is open in Truckee one day a week on Thursdays and that's it. So when you start losing banking, I can't get linens. Like even all last winter, I had issues with our trash pickup, uh, you, you met Sean Whitney on the, the weekend when we yeah. were down in at Sly Park. But, yeah. you know, one of the reasons why this was a funny one when he wrapped up Morgan's Lobster Shack, which that was, place was, it was bomb, a bomb. It was a beloved East Coast Fish Shack. It, it was, was a beloved bomb. business in Truckee. And it was it was funny when when Sean closed that place up. People were asking me and complaining to me about it, and they 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 when they were complaining like it was almost like like a public service, and I'm like, no, well that was a private business, and Sean just was done trying to run the place with being having a lack of staff, mm-hmm. and then also trash that he experienced a, a winter where he wasn't having his trash picked up because the the, the local trash company was understaffed. And it just, you, you bang your head against the wall for uh, so long up here with certain businesses that you, you know, he just threw in the towel. And, uh, my issue that I had last winter, I'll, I'll say was, you know, essential service. We, we had a driver that wasn't skilled enough to sort of hook. I don't know if you know how they get those dumpsters, but they, yeah. they have the little thing that grabs the two things with a dumpster. Yep. And because the alley in Truckee is so narrow, mm-hmm. a, a skilled driver can go in there and hook the one little hooky thing into the, into the dumpster. Mm-hmm. And then he basically pulls it out a little more into the alley with the one right. and then he can get it. Yeah. And I had a driver last winter that they hired and he couldn't do that. So because he couldn't do that, he just didn't, pay he it just up. didn't pick it up. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so he didn't pick it up on Mondays and Wednesdays. So I would have to go in there and cut my day short skiing powder, which God <laughs> dang it. was, it wasn't rolling good with me, but I would go in there and have to pull stuff out of the dumpster to make room so that we could make it till Friday to the, the point where the guy could pick it up. And, hmm. uh, it was just, it, it, and then he was the, the wildest thing is that, that we then, you know, and I keep my stuff high and tight, all my snow removal at home and at the, there at the business. I keep my stuff high and tight and I was working really hard to make sure the dumpster was dug out and it was accessible. And that was the whole thing is that he would say, Oh, I couldn't get it. It wasn't accessible. And so I'd be taking, you know, there was this back and forth of taking a picture and then he would take a picture and I was like, I couldn't get it. And I had a photo to prove that he could, that he could get it. And it turned out that the guy was falsifying photos. He was changing the timestamp on one, he was changing the timestamp on one photo because there was a berm and then, it was like, oh, I couldn't get it because of this is what it looked like. And then oh my God. I was able to, we caught him in a lie. By the end of March, we finally caught him in a lie and his superiors got involved. And And I think actually some people sued, the a, a bunch of businesses sued. We didn't get actively involved in it, but it was just a nightmare. And it's just like to not get your trash picked up and not be able to go to the bank, to not be able to have other essential services like linens delivered and picked up, uh, it's just, it seems like Truckee and North Tahoe is sort of, we're slipping a little bit with essential services. Like we need the housing and that's, that's it. You know, we need housing bad. Yeah. And uh, it's like, that's, I guess my, it's, that's my public service announcement. On I guess it's only going to get worse because you're saying summer is more busy than winter. It's going to get worse. Yeah. I, I, so I just read an article and I think this was in the San Francisco Chronicle, but some of the state parks are talking about closing midweek. Oh my God. Why? uh, Because they don't have staff. (laughs) 
Really? Yeah, Sand, Sand Harbor might close Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Like, what is that going to do? Well, that I, highway is a nightmare uh, even with it open. I know. I, highway I, 28 on the East Shore? Oh. Yeah, so some of the, there's talk of some of the state parks closing uh, midweek because of staffing issues, and then they'll just shuffle around and keep the state parks open five days a week. But yeah, that's just, we're having to amend uh, and sort of bend to the, to, to the, you know, the issues of not having staff. Yeah. It, it, I, where have all the workers gone? I, don't I just that's, don't understand this. Like to me, it's housing. We just don't have housing. So I know, but it's, a, it's a problem in Reno and Reno, like it's a much bigger city with a lot more available housing and there's yeah. just nobody to work in Reno either. It's, yeah. it's, I just don't know where everybody went. Like, are they just still, I like, I just don't understand it. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, it's one of those mysteries, you yeah. know, like where did all the workers go? <laughs> it's <laughs> no like a, idea. It's like a Stephen King movie. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of like disappeared. Interested in your bicycle. Contact me ASAP. Hmm. Hi, which bike are you interested in? Yes, the bicycle. I pay top dollar. Hmm. Right, but I have a couple for sale. I can wire you $4,000 now. Just give me your bank account and social security number? I don't even know who you are. I am Nigerian Prince, serious buyer? There's a better way to buy, sell, and rent used outdoor gear. Sendy, a new peer-to-peer -peer online marketplace backed by Cam Zinc and Travis Rice. Built by athletes for athletes, Sendy is committed to providing the outdoor community with a high-quality hub for high-quality gear. Sendy provides a safe platform for buying, selling, and renting, making sketchy meetups with shady characters and seedy parking lots a thing of the past. Sendy uses integrated and discounted UPS rates, QR codes, and print-ready labels, shipping anywhere in the U.S., with Canada coming soon. Download the app today for free at the Apple Store, Google Play, or visit sendy.io. Buy it, sell it, rent it, and send it with Sendy, charter partner of Mind the Track. Now, back to the show. All right. Well, that was, I, that was my rant. I've been, I, f I feel like I've been ranting a little bit, but it, it feels good to get it out. And, and I, we, we did hire at work. So, uh, I think that my life is going to resume to a little bit more of a normal schedule. So hopefully we can get, keep going on a weekly, a weekly pod, which I'd, which I'd love because I'm totally enjoying this. Yeah. Well, let's get it's, off the, let's get off been, the rant. Yeah. It's been super cool to get a bunch of actually feedback from, from listeners. I've been getting a bunch of DMS from people and, uh, someone reached out recently about some, some beta on the East side. It sounds like they're going into ski, uh, outside of onion Valley this weekend. So I gave them some good information about what, you know, what, what to do, where to go, where, where to ski, what to bring, nice. what to expect. It sounds like there's still some access issues. So you spoon down there. fed them everything. No, huh? I just, I, I did not spoon feed everything. <laughs> Leave some meat on the bone, man. Yeah, yeah, there was, I gave him general zones. Uh, That's good. Yeah, general zones and, and, you know, and some advice about, you know, making sure it's freezing, which it is. 
Yeah, uh, it's been cold. Yeah, it has been. This has been a really good week, I think, of skiing. I'm bummed I haven't been able to take advantage of it. I heard Mammoth has just been ripping good. Yeah, this week because it's been freezing at night. Yeah, but I'm. I think I'm done. I hung up. I hung up my board after my last mission down on the east side. What? Well, yeah, let's talk about that mission. You that did an e bike awesome. mission, right? I did do it. My first e bike to it ski. Was my first e bike to ski ever. No, it wasn't my first e bike to ski ever because I had borrowed. I had borrowed an e bike last year to do the same trip. Right. And so I did, I pulled a repeat, but it was so funny like that. The year before I did that trip, we did it in March, end mm -hmm. of March, early April. And this, in this trip I did June, the first week of June. And there was more, there was so much more snow, but I rode my e-bike up to basically where at that point, the first week of June, the uh, Caltrans crews or whoever it is that works on Toga Pass, well, Highway 120, they had gotten up to Saddleback Road, which mm -hmm. is the access point for Kness and North Peak. And then a lot of the, and, and white and false white, a bunch of the really good skiing on the north side of the road there and in, in, in on Toga Pass. So I rallied the e-bike up there, locked it to a tree, <laughs> which was, which was. Come of, back and some of the chainsaw I, cut I, the tree I was down. like, can I, my brand new e-bike, I'm just trusting it. But I did, I did push it off the, the, the road a ways and, and locked it to a tree and, and then uh, packed in there with some overnight gear. Oh wow! You overnighted. I over. Yeah, I pulled a solo overnight. Damn. And, uh, walked in all the way to the base of Kness, and skied Kness that first drop that dropped camp, and found a good water source. That was the, uh, my other trip from earlier in the spring and in, in mid May. You know, water. It, it's been an interesting year in this in this year for water because there's so much snow. Yeah. So some areas where you'd had a, accessible water maybe was still under snow. Yeah. So this trip, I was able to find a pretty good water source, kind of up where I wanted to be. So I put a camp just right above that uh, on a nice little dry spot, and it was only like a five minute ski down to get water, and then proceeded to ski a bunch of lines on Kness that afternoon, and I was the first skier, snowboarder, splitboarder in there for the year, I think. Nice. You know, so that felt nice to be back there and sort of have the place to myself. I, I really, did, it looked like some people had climbed Kness maybe from the other drainage, mm -hmm. from the other access point, but they hadn't skied anything. And the 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 Berg, like the Kness glacier was was back. Yeah, that was really cool to see. Uh, the Bergstrom coming across the whole lower lower uh, east face of Kness was pretty severe. And uh, it just had a. I had a great ski. Got up there, skied a couple lines on Kness that afternoon. And then put a camp, camped, and then woke up the next morning and I skied North Peak, which is the other good get right there. Yeah. And I had just, I think that was definitely the best skiing I've ever had in June in the Sierras. Wow. For, for sure. Like, it and was, is it, is it stayed good or have you gotten reports? You said Mammoth was skiing good. Yeah, is I the backcountry skiing good or is it getting cupped are, out? It, it was definitely cupped out, but I think a lot of the approaches are cupped out, but the actual pitch, you know, a lot of the skiing has still been good. Yeah, people have still been skiing good stuff. Uh, it, it there was some warming that happened, and unfortunately, we did have a our first fatality of the year that happened in June. In June, just, just recently, yeah, we had a, a wet slide to uh, over over a cliff accident. So, oh God, really, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, I was super bummed to see that. Yeah, so you know, I think I'm an eat. I'll eat my words a little bit from or some of these earlier podcasts where I'm like, oh, spring is great, like. There isn't all these dangers to navigate in the backcountry, and that's, right. this is this is a year where that's not been the case. Like my biggest moving snow thing that happened on me this year was in May, and then uh, there's definitely been some wet slides happening around the eastern Sierras. So 
that's just all a timing thing too, but just using your head, I, you know, it's, it's not so much your gear. I, you know, I still don't know if you need a beacon shovel and probe in like June, but you definitely need a brain. Uh, <laughs> you need, your that's, brain. <laughs> you know, you need to, you need to make good decisions and timing and, and timing. Right? It's all about timing. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm really bummed to, to hear that there was a fatality and, and, and that happened in June. So it's, you know, and, and condolences how do you, to the family and, and yeah, just, you, and the partner that's, it was a bummer. If you know, I don't know how much you know about the incident, but, um, for listeners who are maybe thinking about going out, um, and doing some spring summer skiing in the back country, like what are, what are the kind of the best practices for being safe and smart? Really boot penetration. I mean, just did one, did it freeze? And then how does the, how does it feel on your approach? You know, mm -hmm. just using visual, just all the clues that you take in as you go up something like you're, you know, I'm constantly processing information as you go up and, and approach a mountain and, and align to ski it. And what, what, are, what's it telling you? And I think that if it's your, if it's too soft and it's isothermic and you're sinking up to your past your ankles and into your boots and into your knees, then you should probably not be on that slope. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the big thing for summer skiing is making sure that you're on a, 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 you know, a stable slope that has had a good freeze Yeah. and, and, you know, t and then timing and, you know, I have to be early, like the skiing now you have to be super early. Uh, like how early I, I think you should be skiing it by 10 down. Yeah. 10, 11 yeah. latest, yeah. you know, even North faces. But when I was uh, out on, Kness, I, I did ski into the afternoon. I skied North Faces late into the, into the evening until four, even 5 PM, which is, it's one of my favorite things this time of year because we have such long days. Mm -hmm. It's so cool to be outside with that quality of light. Yeah. I'm a light, I'm a little bit of a light chaser. So I love being out late in the afternoons and whether it's mountain biking or skiing in the summer and spring like that. Uh, but it's taught, you know, it's all timing, I think. And it just, you know, using your brain and making sure that you're on you're making good decisions with whether or not the snow's going to be still good skiing. Yeah. I think, you know, if it's too soft, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking about being out late and good light, we were up at uh sky tavern last evening. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a volunteer trail day up there. Um, and yeah, sky Tavern's pretty awesome. It's uh, you know, it's a, the nonprofit that runs the, it's a youth ski, ski hill. Some it's of owned most, by Reno, isn't it? it the property is owned by the city of Reno, but they lease it to this nonprofit, the Sky Tavern Association, I think maybe, um, but they run the resort. It's not a resort, it's a ski hill and it's for youth development and, you know, kids programs and um, some of the most talented skiers like David Wise, if you know who David Wise is, he's like three, four time gold medalist in the Olympics for, um, you know, freestyle half pipe ski, um, legend. And he learned to ski at Sky Tavern. Oh, cool. So it's this, you know, really, um, like important community asset. And so they're, they've been building a bunch of rad mountain bike trail at, at Sky Tavern and they're gonna be doing clinics and stuff this summer. And they're going to be having a fundraiser later this summer. Cause they're all, they're all fundraise operated like that, you know, they're a nonprofit. They, they get the money to operate that thing through fundraising. So, um, we're going to, you know, at some point here in the next couple months, um, we're going to try and get, uh, um, Yale Spina, who's the, 
the executive director of the Sky Tavern, legendary. Let's get him on the show. Legendary skier, legend. Like aerial acrobatics, backflips, all that stuff back in the 90s, like legend. And um, big mountain biker too. And, and from what I hear, great storyteller. So, you know, leading up to the fundraiser, we'll, we'll have him on the show. But we were out there last night and uh, I was looking up at Mount Rose, you know, on the ski resort side. And uh, I saw two people skiing down. Oh, you saw at some, sunset. Some people were skiing the chutes. Not the chutes, but next to the um, whatever. What's the main chairlift? Not uh, northwest. Northwest. Yeah, right down the main chute next to or the main line. Yeah, not cool. not in the chutes, but yeah, it was cool. I was like, oh, they're getting after it. I wonder if they did like multi-sport day, you know, like they woke up with a bike ride, then they did a sup and then they yeah. did a kayak and then they did a trail run. And now they're finishing with a ski, you know, on the solstice. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of rad. Good, good times, man. It's been good times. We've had some killer good times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, going from that east side trip for me and having perfect corn into then that whole rain cycle that we had like did mountain biking and trucking there for a week was just phenomenal oh yeah it's been good times it's been for sure super good times <laughs> in, in, in with intermittent uh complaints about the traffic and business and shortage of employment you know well, that's, that's, that a, that's the yin and yang of, of life and it's the yin and yang of this show too buddy right that's right you know you're you're the skier i'm the border yeah so yeah. i mean it's uh yeah i'll just give a shout out to the truckee dirt union again those guys are having a, a big party this weekend on saturday they're doing a beer release with alibi Mm -hmm. And they've, they've come up with a really good beer for post riding. Yep. I think it's a light lager, but it's just it's single track radness, single track radness. Yep. And, uh, the, man, God dang it. That single track down there the other couple of weeks was so good. It was so rad. It yeah. really was. Yeah. I had some of the best trail conditions I think I've ever had in, in Tahoe. Uh, when I, after I came back from the Kness trip, yeah. It, we just started that rain cycle. It was thunderstorming every day and mm -hmm. it was just loam town. Yep. Dark meat, Lombok. chocolate cake, like whatever you want to call it. It was just ripping good. And those boys have been working hard on their trails. Like the whole donkey town zone was riding super good. I think everybody in Truckee, it's, it, you, everyone was there. It was a party. Yeah. It was a loam party. Yeah. We had that trail day. There was like 75 people that showed up to dig. Yep on on jackass is that your is that your sandy send of the week it's those boys yeah that's that's my sandy send is the 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 trucky dairy union for sure yeah and the, the amount of joy that they brought everybody those couple of weeks i mean even now today people it's still great but really that was a special cycle of really good mountain biking there mm -hmm. i had a blast yeah it was it was good times i uh how about you what's your what's your send of, send of the week so i just thought about this uh or send of the spring. Send. I'm gonna send. I'm gonna send the Sandy send. Send the Sandy send of the week out to our boy Jake Mon. Oh yeah, it's been cool to ride along on that one. Eh? Jake Mon is in Central Oregon right now on his way to Port Townsend. We interviewed him yep. a couple episodes ago. Good call. Um, and yeah, he's been. It's been. I love following people on bike adventures. It's so cool. Um, and he he was. It seemed like he was maybe north of Bend, like near Sisters, when he got caught in a gnarly rainstorm and got completely soaked to the bone. Yep. And then and ended up in that cabin. Dude, he found this like Isn't warming hut with yeah. like this rad Schrader wood-burning stove. Yep. And he's like, it saved my 
life. Like this thing saved me. And so he was just like holed up in that shelter and dried everything out with that wood burning stove. And then back on the, back on the road again. That's the coolest thing about an adventure like that is that just things unfold for you and life sort of happens in a way that is meant to be. Yeah. Yep. Totally. It's, I mean, he's living, that's cool. He's living the best life, you know? And so shout out to not Jake Mann, M-A-N-N. Uh, he is fundraising for this ride. So if yep. you want to throw him a donation, he would greatly appreciate it. He's fundraising for the uh, World Bicycle Relief, I think is what it's called. Yep. Um, and it, you know, it helps the funds that he raises, uh, goes to help purchase bicycles for folks in third world countries. So uh, follow not Jake Mann, M-A-N-N. He promises that it's him on Instagram and uh, follow along with this trip. He's about halfway through the trip. Uh, he's got a few more weeks to get to Port Townsend. It's been entertaining. He's a he's a charismatic individual. It's fun to to watch him have have fun, and he smiles through the suffer fiesta, which I also appreciate. <laughs> he, he's been painting his pain cave really oh, yeah. well. He's, he's decorating the pain he's cave, hanging up some cool posters. Oh and... yeah. <laughs> He's got like the like the protective cover of like how your grandma had on it on her couch. Yeah, he's the got plastic like cover, the plastic cover on his couch, <laughs> so that when he sits down all wet in his pain cave, it doesn't get the couch dirty. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah, good. That's a great one. It's been cool to I I've been following along with him, and we've been messaging a little bit back and forth. Yeah, we've had a, had a couple good laughs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. With it, so with, let me ask you about that one. Like, so what's your, have you ever been caught out in the gnarly thunderstorm on your bike? Yeah. Like, and had to take shelter under a tree or like, what's, what's your gnarliest experience like that? Cause I've, I've got a couple, you know, I'm trying to think, um, I've been pretty lucky. Uh, this, we, I, I guess the worst rainstorm I ever got caught in was in forest Hill. We were riding, we did the seven day ride from uh, Lake Tahoe to San Francisco on as much single track as possible. We called it the commute and <laughs> it was super rad. Uh, my buddy, James Adamson and Justin Schwartz, Mount Tam Mafia, what up Mount Tam Mafia. Um, we, we rode uh, from Tahoe to SF. Wow. And we were in Forest Hill and it just started nuking rain on us like super hard and it was getting dark. Um, and so we were riding to this dude, Sean's house. Um, and we didn't know exactly where his house was. We just knew it was in a general vicinity. And so we were like trying to route find while it was pouring down rain and while it was dark out. So James got, ended up getting lost or Justin ended up getting lost or James, one of the two. You, dro you dropped one of the guys. No, he dropped us. Uh, he just rode away and we're like, what the, f like, dude. What are every, you doing? Every man for himself. So he rode away from us and we ended up finding the place. Okay. And like, we were there for like a good half an hour, 40 minutes at Sean's house, completely soaking wet, but like happy, you know, we we're having a beer, but worried, like what, what the hell happened to James? And then 40 minutes later, he knocks on the door and <laughs> he rolls up. <laughs> but, but that was, the, and so we were lucky in that, like we had a destination and we had a place. So, you know, we, we knew like, just keep your head down and keep pedaling and we'll get there and we'll be okay. But you know, on an adventure like what Jake went on, like when you don't, when you don't know where your next place to 
hunker down is like yeah like and when he did the colorado trail he said he had to pull the ripcord because it was just too freaking wet and he was just getting like pounded every day usually when i plan my multi-day bike adventures i i look at the weather window i don't i just i'm not that hardcore where i'm gonna be like i'm gonna push through the crappiest conditions to make this thing happen i like will have a general vicinity of time that i want to do this ride and then I kind of just look at what the weather's doing. And if the weather's looking good, then I go. If the weather's looking questionable, I'll wait. Then that's just how I flow. That's how I operate. I, on that seven-day trip, did you guys have tents? And no. no. You were just no, so you were, you were staging it in a different way. Yeah, so we, the, the, the name, the commute came from us. We just had a backpack, and that's all we had. It was like we were riding to work. <laughs> And so, yeah, and so we had bikes that we could shred. Like we were, you know, we rode Western States Trail and we rode a bunch of stuff in Tahoe, Emigrant and like Hole in the Ground and, um, you know, then out into like uh, Folsom area and then rode a bunch of stuff over by Berryessa and then oh, like cool. in through Sonoma and down to Napa and and into, you know, Marin um, and then finished on uh, uh, um like the Sutro Tower there on Twin Peaks. There's a single track. We're like yeah, in downtown San Francisco, I've dude. That trail. We finished at the top of that. That was the finish line. Oh, that's very cool. It was cool. super cool. And I searched that trail out a couple of years ago. Yeah. I was down surfing in San Francisco and went for a big 25 mile ride through the city and just linked together all the fun little trails that you can do. Oh yeah. It was rad. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a that was a cool ride. And it was um yeah, we stayed with friends the whole time. So like we linked up each day, stayed with someone like what, the first night on Donner Summit, the second night in Forest Hill, the third night in Very El Dorado cool. Hills, the fourth night, we actually camped um, like out by a Cash Creek Casino. So we had somewhere to stay each night. So all we had to bring was what we needed for the day and we timed the weather right so we didn't have to bring a bunch of like rain gear and yeah. stuff or extra clothes it was late october it was this uncanny weather window of warmth and no precipitation except for the except for that one <laughs> day in forest hill and then literally dude we got done that sunday and we were driving back to tahoe and driving over donner summit there was like six inches of fresh snow on castle peak and we we're like oh, wow. we just, just made it pinch that one in yeah mm-hmm. how about you I had one on, have you ever ridden at Brian Head in oh, Utah? Yeah. Oh yeah, I know Brian Head, yeah. So we were the, I was on a road trip mountain biking with a buddy and we'd done sort of the uh, uh, Zion stuff and mm-hmm. Thunder Mountain, which is super Oh, rad. I love Thunder I Mountain. Love, I love that Thunder ride Mountain's too. Super have rad. you ever done the, the ride that takes you north of the park there and done the Butch Cassidy Trail? No, so but I, we've done, um, I, uh, Never mind. Go ahead. So th- you know, everyone does the Thunder Mountain Loop, which is yes. The, I think it's the, I think it's the south side of the park. Yep. Yeah. That, that, south that, of the highway. The south of the highway. Yep. But there's a there's a really rad loop that you can do on the north side of the highway too. That's super adventurous. Uh, but anyway, we I was out there riding, and we then popped over to Brian Head and did a day on Brian Head, and just yep. got pinned down by a thunderstorm. Did you guys ride like down uh, Bunker Creek towards Panguitch? Is that I don't, there's a shuttle? I have. Or did you ride the ski resort? We were riding above the ski resort. Sort of. We our hopes were yeah. to do a, from the ski resort to down something, but we just basically got pinned down by a thunderstorm. Took almost it was the closest I became 
Yeah, you're high elevation. That's ten thousand feet yeah, up there. You're like, high elevation. It's cold. It gets cold quick up there. Like Christina, like we were pretty close to getting struck by lightning on that one. Oh wow! And then just completely went back to the car with our tails between our legs at some point. But it's so I had a couple. I just love. So that one was real. But I had a couple instances through the, that last rain cycle in this year is where. I think it's so neat how you can be like, you can, you can go out and ride in these, like when we were getting those thunderstorms and rainstorms, mm-hmm. I was riding a bit through it and you just, you can pull out underneath a tree and just sort of watch it rain a little bit and stay dry. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the, it, the cell will pass and then you can just like emerge from your little hobbit, hobbit rain shelter. And then the trails are in perfect condition. Yeah. No, waiting. I like what I do I've is done that a bunch. I'll just pull up. Uh, I usually use Wonderground you know, the website, the weather website and look at the radar, what the radar is doing. And if the radar, if there's a blob coming at me, I'll just wait. And then as soon as that blob passes, then you go. So it's like watching the radar and seeing what it's doing and then timing it around what the radar is doing. It's like how I like to roll. I had one of my best laps ever over Freel Pass was that I had ridden up Cold Creek and Mm -hmm. made the, made the push up to Star Lake. And then somewhere up in there, there was a big thunderstorm and rain cell that came through and just sort of took shelter for a while. It passed. Yep. And then, uh, had wisely packed a fresh pair of socks, Yep. a fresh Jersey and a fresh pair of gloves. Good. I had that in the back of the pack. And so then after the rain cell moved through, I took my raincoat off, put on a new Jersey, changed my socks, fresh gloves, and and yep. then made the push over Friel Pass and just had a ripping, perfect, wet yeah. DG descent oh, all dude, the way down so that other side, all the way down into uh, Armstrong. When you Armstrong can catch that connector. DG after a fresh rain, man, it's nothing's like it. It's so awesome. It's super good. That, so the East Shore, that whole East Shore, I think is riding pretty good right now. I think yeah. you can get up pretty far up Armstrong. You can get up Armstrong connectors open, mm-hmm. and you can probably get a little bit up Armstrong. And then I rode the flume trail on sunday last week sweet flumes open flumes open for business sweet we, we got to have a uh, uh uh max on the show i want to yeah we're gonna I have max to talk to max and we're you know what we're also going to do is july 8th um is the capital to Tahoe oh, yeah, yeah, grand yeah, yeah. opening so the new trail that's going to go from the top of marlette all the way into carson city like a four thousand foot descent the grand opening is July 8th. I, I've it heard might rave reviews dry. about it. I've been hearing good reviews about it too. Yeah. I hear it rips. Yeah, I hear it rips. I haven't ridden it yet. I think I might go poke out there in the next, so, the next few days and yeah, climb it from the bottom and just that's send what it. I, that's what everyone's doing is it an out and back. Yeah, but that's going to be on July 8th and that could be a good opportunity. I'm sure Max will be there and like it'll be a good opportunity to meet some folks um, who have you know helped build that trail. Um, so I'm excited to and check who, that out. Who was in? Who was actively involved in it? Was that part Tampa or not? That was muscle powered. That's Carson, which is Carson, Carson City. City yeah, and I don't know if Tampa was involved in that one. They may have been, but Kevin Joel, who owns Sear Trail Works, the lo- there's a there he's a local trail builder in Reno. He built the majority of that trail, um, and he's built a lot of trail in Reno. He's kind of the the. Okay trail hero in Reno. He's built a lot of stuff on Peavine and connector trails in South Reno and done a lot of tamble work. And like, he's proficient. I'm super looking forward to that one to have another, yeah. like have another option to doing the TRT to Marlette. To so what's funny all the way to, you know, whatever the, the doing that section into toads or doing it into Armstrong or I mean, those are sort of the classic rides I've been doing the TRT all the way to 
the Sierra Canyon trail recently, which has been one of my favorite epic rides is to do the full TRT and then drop down to Genoa. Yeah. But to be able to do the TRT to Carson is going to be a ripper. Well, I hear that people who've ridden the new cap to Tahoe said it's everything that Sierra Canyon should have been. (laughs) Because like, I got to say like the top part of Sierra Canyon is pretty fun. But once you get to that junction about two thirds of the way down, it turns into switchback hell. Yeah. It's just you're, like we were talking about. Anytime you're eating your own switchback dust, did somebody did something wrong. It's like that. And so a lot of times when we ride Sierra Canyon, we'll ride the Genoa Canyon Trail, which you hook a right and you have to climb a bit before you ah, do I've the fun. Yeah, it's a better descent. So Towards you get the- to the junction two thirds of the way down instead of going straight and continuing down, hook a right. You'll have to climb about 800 vert, but okay. you get a much better final descent back into Genoa. Oh, cool. And it's, and it's pretty rad because it's like really narrow trail with some exposure, but some fun tight corners. And like, it's, it's, it's a cool, it's a better way to go, I think. But like this Cap to Tahoe trail sounds like it's like continuous, flowy, fast, really quality trail. And that'll bleed right into Kings. It takes you... Right. It bleeds into Kings and then you follow Kings and then that bleeds into the Lincoln connector Lincoln, yeah. and the Lincoln bypass, Lincoln bypass. And that puts you right on King street, literally like a mile from the Capitol. Very cool. All the way at the bottom of the mountain. Yeah. Do you think, is Max going to run shuttles for that? I'm sure he will. God. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a game changer for Carson, that trail. It's going to be a huge draw. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, it'll be a partial shuttle, right? You'll have to climb. He'll probably just drive people to um i don't think he'll i don't know if he'll pick them up in carson they'll have to figure out their own shuttle yeah, I'm wondering back about that. but like they'll he'll drive people to spooner like he always does right and then they'll have to figure out their own way back from carson but yeah from spooner you climb up to the top of marlette maybe like uh 1500 vert yep and then you get a four thousand foot drop almost pretty good return oh, that's gonna be fun yeah yeah i'm gonna have to figure out talking the wife into going picking me up and i'll just ride from well, the house and, well so and you be know, like hey honey you want to go to uh uh you want to go to carson for lunch or go to the big box stores right. and pick, pick me up pick me car- up yeah pick me up in carson well car i mean max jones i know he used to back in like he probably still does um he would commute to so he yeah. lives in carson city and works in incline part of his training because he was you know a professional mountain bike racer on the norba circuit back in the day he would just ride to work and incline from carson that was his commute that's a big ass climb that's a climb (laughs) every day yeah yeah i'm looking forward to that one so july 8th is that is that grand opening saturday i hope that the 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 connect that you can ride the whole thing and that it's not still snow at the top it might it might melt i mean depending on what the weather does the next few weeks it might melt out yeah i I think it will and then speaking of melting out what's going on in downeyville you're going up there next week i'm going up on monday to help uh the new owners of the lure resort which i used to be a part owner and manager of help them get it ready for a big party for the july 4th weekend um so i'll be up there riding my bike getting ready in the Downeyville Classic is coming back July 15th, 16th, four-year hiatus. It's going to be the 25th anniversary. It's going to be all-time party. So if you can get that weekend off, I highly recommend coming on up. on it. Yeah, it's going to be all-time. And so, yeah, I'll be in Downeyville for a week, and I'll get a report on the trails and the conditions. I, From what I hear, they're, going to, they're running shuttles. 
Uh, but you got to hike about a mile up the steep and narrow from like Packer Lake, um, just above Packer Lake uh, to the top. And then you're going to have some snow hiking. And then I think Butcher Ranch is clear from like the gorge down. The meadow might have okay. big patches, but Sunrise is still under snow. Um, Gold Valley Rim's got massive wind drifts on it. Um, but I think for the classic this year, they're talking about running both the cross country and the downhill down the old downhill track. So butcher. So they're going to do the, it'll be the road. You're going to bomb the road at the beginning. Depending on the snow situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're going to kind of call an audible at the last minute based on what the conditions look like and how much snow there is. But I don't, yeah, Polly's not happening just not only because of the snow, but crossing Polly Creek is going to be like, like the Oregon trail, you know, like you get swept up and you're dead. You know, it's like raging still. It's, you can it's almost, deep. you can kayak it probably. You, oh, you could. Well, yeah, up there, like in the, you know, cause like where you cross Polly Creek on the XC course, um, it's high up. You're at almost 7,000 feet. So it's draining all of that high country and wow. it's still got a ton of snow up there. So it's still pumping up high. So they're going to just run every, and the, and the waterfall at Butcher right now is a full-on waterfall. It is raging a full-on waterfall. You know, usually by midsummer, the waterfall is not even a waterfall. It's just a rock feature, but it's like a full-on waterfall right now. Have you been up there yet? I haven't been up, no, but I've seen footage. Uh, the trail crew sent me a video of like okay. how it looks. And I was like, oh man, that is, that is, <laughs> that is a waterfall. <laughs> So it's going to be good spectating for the classic this year because they're, they're going to be sending all the XC riders down the downhill track that they never ride, right? They always ride the XC course. So there's going to be a lot of walking through the waterfall, I think. Is that that, is that, that dip section? That's the gorge. The okay. dip is the gorge. Below the dip is the waterfall. So, oh, it's that. It's where the it's big all rock feature. Manzanita, -y, and there's water running in the middle of the trail. Yeah, and it's all bed, it. it's all bedrock, and there's yes, like three yes. different lines you can take. Yep. The inside, the middle, or the outside. Yeah, that's the waterfall. So the XC folks are going yes. to have to ride that? Yes. They normally don't ride that? No. They usually go Pauly Creek. Okay. The downhill, so for the all-mountain racers on Sunday, they go down Butcher. Um, but for the Saturday XC, usually they go Pauly. Okay. So I think what we'll do is leading up maybe in the next week or two, we should just do a Downeyville episode. Yeah, let's do it. To leading up to the Classic. Cause there's so much to talk about. I love the riding up there. It's so good. Oh, it's good. the It's like my favorite place on earth to ride a bike. It's so good. Lakes Basin, Downeyville. That's it. That's the, like, that's the zone, dude. All, if you like history, if you like ruggedness, if you like remoteness, if you like rowdy ass, like primitive trail, nothing matches it. Yeah, that's it. It's the spot. Yeah. 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 I haven't been, I've only ridden Huff so far this year. So I, I want to get up there and ride. So maybe next week if I can, I'll be up there. If you want to cruise up, man, I'll be up there all week. I'll be working, but I can break away and go for a ride. I think I might have a day mid week. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the 15th, 16th, I'm going to have to look at that weekend because I, I think I might have a, a sailboat race happening on that, that weekend. I'm actually, oh. I'm super excited. I'm doing my first sailboat race this Sunday. Uh, is a race from South Lake Tahoe back up to the Tau City Yacht Club. Wow. And I've uh, been trying to still keep my spot on John Morrison's boat. <laughs> Rad. So I'm, I'm hopefully going to, uh, uh, you know, keep my spot. And I've, I've been the bowman on this boat a little bit the last year. So it's been super fun to get, get back on the water and do some sailing. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay. And I think he mentioned that there was another race on the 15th, 16th, a big one. So I, I might be, I might be sailing. 
All right. Well, if you're not in Downeyville, at least you have a good excuse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm... Well, uh, I gotta. We gotta wrap this up. I just yeah, looked man, at the it's... clock, and I I've got an eleven yeah. o'clock meeting. I got to be at the you, talk trail. You, you got to go to your new job. I got to go to my new job meeting. Um, talk about building trail in Boca. So, uh, yeah. Anything? Any other last? No, man. Words? It's just been, just been great to catch up and yeah. sort of just have a me and you episode and sort of totally. catch up on on some chit chat and yep. Talk about Tahoe. Talk about what we've been up to. Talk about how good the trails have been. It's yep. been good. It's been awesome. Good to see you, man. Yeah. You too, pal bot. Well, thanks for listening to episode number 13 of Mind the Track, the summer episode. Until next time, get out there, get deep, and put your mind in the track.